Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. So those of you who have been following our social media know that our faculty member, Christian Lybrook, and I just got back from Sundance 2024. And while we were there, we recorded a series of short videos about the films we saw there, and more importantly, what you could learn from them as screenwriters. And we're going to be doing more of these, so if you want to get them first, you want to follow us at, at the JK Studio for those updates. And our response was really, really strong. We felt like the lessons that were contained in those videos were so valuable that we wanted to put them out for our wider audience in a podcast format. Now, even if you weren't at Sundance, even if you haven't seen these films at all, there are so many lessons that you can learn from them. We're going to be talking about how to lean into the emotional logic of your structure. We're going to be talking about how to control tone, how to surprise genre expectations, how to get the most out of your first image, how to build central metaphors, how to build image systems, how to build mirrors and reflections for your main characters, how to write movies about sociopolitical issues, how to build structure through emotional needs, and a lot of other really valuable concepts. In this episode, we're going to be looking at four feature films that we saw at Sundance, Your Monster, Layla, A Different Man, and Rain Us. And we're also going to be looking at a documentary, uh, Porcelain War, which won Sundance's Grand Jury Prize. Uh, for those of you who are listening rather than viewing, if you notice that the sound is a little different in each of these podcasts, it's because we're really trying to bring the Sundance experience to you at home by recording in lots of different locations from the Egyptian theater that's always been associated with Sundance on Main Street to the gondola at Park City Mountain. So it may be a little bit of a wild ride from an audio perspective, but I think you're going to have a really incredible ride. So the first film that we're going to be discussing in this series is Your Monster. This is a sweet little Beauty and the Beast-inspired, let's call it a romantic comedy for now, with some other slightly less expected genre elements. The film's not yet in theater, so we're only going to talk about the opening sequence up to the inciting incident, so there will be minimal spoilers. So the first film that we saw here was Your Monster by Caroline Lindy. It's a, a relationship story about a, a girl and the monster who lives in her closet. One of the things that's really beautiful about it is it's not just a love story about a monster, right? It's really about a love story with herself. Um, 100%, yeah. It, what do you think is the, the top thing you would want a screenwriter to take away having watched this film? It's a Beauty and the Beast story. Caroline Lindy takes a story that we're sort of familiar with and she starts to spin it and she looks at it from all different angles. Anytime possible, she goes, you think it's going to go this way? I'm going to give you something else. The film follows the emotional logic, not the logical logic, yeah. right? So, so there are um, a, lot of, a lot of elements in the film where you could totally go like, well, hold on a second. Like, how did she get into the theater? How did she get into the audition, right? How did these things happen if you get into your logical brain? And yet, as you're watching the film, you don't care at all. My analytical brain is really, it, it's loud in my head. And those moments, they did pop up, but the emotional storyline and the through line is so powerful that it just sort of dissipated. And this is such a great uh, lesson for screenwriters. When you have to make that choice, yeah. right? Emotion versus logic. 
nine times out of 10, emotion is gonna trump. Yes, and then you figure out how to make it believable, right, within that, right? So it, you're not asking the audience to take leaps of faith that you can't, that they can't take, but what you are asking them to do is navigate towards the fun, right? Because that's what they want yeah. you to do. They want you to navigate towards the fun. If you don't wanna know anything, now's the time to stop the video. <laughs> but um, at the very beginning of the piece, we meet this girl, she has cancer, and her boyfriend leaves her. Right, and so this is the setup, but this is a comedy. It's a romantic comedy. And the way that she handles it, you're watching this very dramatic stuff, but she blows up the drama, and then she's playing this like really goofy soundtrack. And what she's showing you by juxtaposing these tones, like, yeah, this piece is gonna be moving for you, and this piece is gonna be a juxtaposition of tones, and don't worry, you're gonna laugh. Um, and I think that's such a great lesson, right, for the when we think about like the early pages of our script, if, if you start off on a different tone than your movie's gonna go, there's a good chance that the person who really wants your script is gonna stop reading. And it's such a brilliant choice to go, okay, we're gonna bang the two tones of this movie up against each other. So we're following her, her boyfriend leaves her, she comes home, she has this wonderful best friend who's picked her up from the hospital since she has no one else. And her best friend says, you know, we are BFF forever, ride or die. I'm gonna be with you 24 seven. And then bang, oh, I gotta go, I got an audition. And it, it's such a wonderful introduction. We immediately know not only who the main character is, but now we immediately know who her best friend is. And beyond that, we, we know her problem, that she has trouble standing up for herself, that she gets pushed around, and that she has no one that she can depend on. And finally, we know, you know, if you've read the title or, or read anything about the movie, you know she's gonna meet the monster in her closet. And so we're waiting for this moment and we're playing with all the wonderful genre elements that, that are, are kind of building us there. And then she finally goes into the closet, right? And we're waiting for the horror moment. And what happens instead? We expect the horror moment. And it's comedy, it's deadpan comedy. So the first thing that the monster says is, what's up? Right? And you get a huge laugh from the audience, waiting for the jump scare, and instead we get exactly the opposite. And then what's wonderful about the film is that it builds to a place that actually brings all these genre elements to a culmination. And we're not going to talk a lot about that. I do talk a lot in this podcast and in my classes about, like, how do you squeeze the most juice out of the orange, right? And we start this movie and it feels like, oh, it's these weird juxtapositions of tone, but actually by the time she is done, Caroline Lindy is going to pull the, the squeeze the juice out of each one of those genre elements to really an even further extent than you imagine when you first sat down to watch the film. A lot of great lessons from a film you might not have even seen yet. Yeah. And um, there are opportunities to screen Sundance films online, and I'm sure this one's going to make it to theater. So when it does, definitely go see it. Amen. The next film we're going to be talking about is Layla by Amru Alkadi. On its surface, Layla really couldn't be more different from your monster. It lives in a much more naturalistic world rather than the magical realism world, and it's really strongly within one genre. However, like your monster, Layla starts with a really compelling first image that sets the tone of the piece and also establishes the problem of the main character. And this becomes a central image system, a central metaphor the whole movie's based around. This film's also a great lesson in how to reveal character, how to establish and build upon image systems in your writing, and how to think about characters in your cast as mirrors and reflections of your main character, a uh, really cool way of building a story. 
In order to fully explain these concepts in a way that's going to be valuable to writers who have not seen the film, we do need to spoil some of the plot of Layla. So if you're concerned about that, you can check the show notes and pop ahead to the next movie in our discussion, A Different Man. So we just got out of Layla by Amru Alkadi. It's about a drag queen in London from Islamic roots. The first image of the movie, they're making themselves up. And they get up to look at themselves in the mirror, but the mirror is is a checkerboard. Checkerboard, yeah. So there are only portions of their personality that actually come through. And then we go from there to another image, which is they're about to get in the bath, and behind the bathtub there's another obscuring mirror. Thinking about like what the visual system of the piece is, there's a role for directing in writing. If you're a screenwriter and you're thinking in terms of sort of directorial choices, you can't be making those choices about necessarily, this is going to be a wide shot, this is going to be a close-up, unless it's tied to story and how you reveal characters. Yeah. Amru Al-Qadi uses mirrors as a literal device to reveal the main character of Layla in different ways um, all throughout the movie. So the central metaphor of the piece is this octopus. Layla is this character who's camouflaging and hasn't hasn't owned themselves. They go through this really beautiful relationship uh, with Max. He's an ad executive, right? He's the opposite. Every, he's always in black and gray and straight-laced. And he's also playing a game with himself, right? Yeah. And you were saying something really interesting about characters as mirrors. They're constantly at odds with their own identities. That creates conflict between them. Just like in our own lives, when you get into an argument with your significant other, you're revealing yourself, but their reaction to that argument and whatever it is that you say or do in that moment reveals you, Yeah. right? Because suddenly we're forced to confront a version of ourselves that we probably don't even know exists, Yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that was the central tension of that relationship of both of those characters having to confront themselves through the reaction of the, of the other. Yes, Layla with their family, they are Latif. Yeah. A traditional Muslim, man, Muslim yeah. man with his sister. His sister is aware of who he is, but he's not aware that his sister can be open, right? So he's yeah. not able to be himself with his sister. And then with his boyfriend, he goes through a journey of different set of clothes, Literally. right? Literally yeah. to try to fit. There's a really powerful moment. He's been avoiding his sister through the whole movie. He bumps into his sister with his boyfriend yeah. and she's so happy. Yeah. And that's a moment of pressure between them and Max where we realized, Layla couldn't even share who they were with her boyfriend, right? Yeah. And, and it causes friction. On the other hand, Max comes from a family that's super embracing, but he's masking who Layla is in a different way by not sharing what Layla's real job is, dressing Layla up in more traditional Conservative clothes. Exactly. Like, yeah. So, so a, a family that's very comfortable with their sexuality of their son, but a son who once again is uncomfortable with just owning, like, this is the person that I love. Revealing that he's uncomfortable with himself. Yes. Yeah. And so that idea of using your characters and those relationships and those hot relationships to reveal both of those characters yeah. in a way that isn't expositional. If you just stick characters who are different from each other in a room together and let them be themselves, the character gets revealed along the way. Yeah. And, and if you just keep your characters making choices, that's going to reveal your character. Yeah. Trust yourself as a writer and trust your characters. Honestly, it's, it's a nice metaphor with the piece. Layla is playing a character, not trusting themselves. Yeah in order to become Layla, really become Layla, mm -hmm. they have to trust themselves. Yeah. And that means not everyone's going to accept you. And, and I think that's the last thing I'd like to talk about, is like the idea of a central motif in a movie. Mm -hmm. This director, he's obsessed with octopus. He told this story during the talkback that I thought was very beautiful, of being a kid in his Islamic home and um, being queer and feeling this peace watching his fish tank. He just took that and he, he, he gave that to his character. 
Max is an artist who's afraid to be an artist. And he draws a picture of Layla becoming Layla as an octopus, as an, yeah. right? And it's just it's just really, really gorgeous. Yeah. How hard would it be to describe a character without having that metaphor? Yeah, it allows you to kind of focus your character and kind of remind yourself in those early stages when you're like, well, who is she or who are they? Because they're they're bouncing all over the place because you haven't really found them yet. Yeah. It can be a way of kind of grounding your piece. Yeah. Go see the film when it comes out, when you can. But whether you see the film or not, Take that. What's the central metaphor of your piece? What's the central metaphor of your character? What happens if you just look, take two characters and stick them in a room together and allow them to be mirrors and reflections for themselves and for each other rather than trying to show your audience? Play around with that yeah. and see what happens in your script. The next movie we're going to be talking about is A Different Man, written and directed by Aaron Schimberg and starring Sebastian Stan and Adam Pearson. This is probably the boldest movie we've seen at Sundance. In fact, the boldest movie we have seen in some time. Uh, A Different Man really blows the lid off of your expectations, and it takes some incredibly daring risks with some red-hot subject matter. It pushes your assumptions and those of the main character to the extreme. It also features some mind-blowing performances from Sebastian Stan and Adam Pearson. Like your monster, A Different Man is a self-referential riff on Beauty and the Beast. And like your monster, it uses that fairy tale framework to explore the main character's relationship with himself. And of course, it plays on that fairy tale in completely different ways. Also, like Layla, the film illustrates the power of using a contrasting character to hold a mirror up to your main character and force them to change. But most importantly, A Different Man shows us an incredibly bold technique to approaching a complicated issue and ways that you can channel your own fears as a writer back into your screenplay with some really profound results. In order to make this discussion valuable to anyone who hasn't seen the film, I do have to spoil some major plot twists. So if you're concerned about that, feel free, check the show notes, get the time code for the next installment, which is going to be Rain Us, and feel free to move ahead. I'm going to talk a little bit about A Different Man. The parts that you'll probably know if you've seen the trailer. Sebastian Stan plays a man with a really strong facial difference. We watch for the first half of the movie, what we expect the life of somebody like that to be. If we've seen a movie like Mask, right? Except it's twisted. If you haven't seen the movie and don't want to know anything, this is a tiny spoiler, but I think if you see the previews, you will understand this is coming. So the second half of the movie, a man with almost the exact same facial difference pops into the film. His point of view on life is so profoundly different than the Sebastian Stan's character. And what that does is it starts to unfold the parts of the character's problem that are the world and that are the challenges that he has in his life versus the part of the problem that is him, that is in him, that resides in him, that cannot be separated. Oh, there's the external problem and then there's the internal problem. And by seeing the funny mirror reflection of the main character, the effect of that, right, is to push way deeper into who the character is and also into the the issue of the movie. I want to connect this to uh, another idea, which is the, the writer and director's challenge, right? So he's coming to this movie. He's done another movie with the actor who has the, the real facial difference. He's decided he wants to make a more commercial movie. 
which means that he needs a movie star like Sebastian Stan. He also wants to include the character he worked on in the other movie, the actor, he wants to include him in this film. He realizes that he's in a really challenging conundrum, which is if you hire a beautiful person like Sebastian Stan to play uh, a person with a facial difference, right, it can feel exploitative. He realizes that if you cast a man with a facial difference to play a man with a facial difference, there's a thin line there where that can also get exploitative. And what he decides to do, and I think this is such a brilliant move, is he decides to do both, to, to cast both Sebastian and the actor he had worked with before. He decides to cast them both in the movie, and as he put it, to actually just let them duke it out on screen. That creates a whole other meta level of this movie, where you're actually watching the director try to make sense of his own choices, right? And it's done in a very subtle way. So I'm not going to spoil anything. There's so much more I want to tell you. Definitely go see the movie. But what I want to leave you with as a writer is what would a funny mirror reflection of your character look like? And how can you move that character to that reflection? Either through another character, what we call a foil, uh, like it's done in this movie, or by moving them in themselves from one to another. And if you study films and you've studied sea change with me, then you're aware that often we get that kind of mirroring around the sea change. The other lesson I want you to take from this film, whether you've seen it or not, is if you're having a problem with your own script, see what happens if you put it in the script. You can go on the meta level. You can also go on the character level. But let your character embody the problem and suddenly the problem no longer becomes a problem. Suddenly you're running at it rather than away from it. And that can lead to really groundbreaking work like A Different Man. The next film we're going to be talking about is Reynas, written by Claudia Reynique and Diego Vega and directed by Reynique. We were really blown away by this little film. The writing, the direction, the performances, the production design. Uh, it's really rare that you see a period piece, especially a low-budget one, that drops you into a world, right? It's so easy to kind of fall into that homage like we see in Stranger Things. It's the 90s or it's the 80s! Whereas this film just subtly created the reality of that world. Everything in this movie just felt real, funny, sad, beautiful. And to a great degree, that's because no matter how flawed the characters were, and they were all flawed, Claudia Reynique's writing just always looks for the love. Like many of the other films that we've discussed here, Reynas begins with a first image that sets the world for a movie and for the characters. And we're going to be using that image to help you understand how to introduce characters in your own writing, how your first image can help simplify character building, and how to build structure by connecting to the deeper subconscious emotional needs that drive your characters. While we don't spoil the ending of Reynas, we can't discuss emotional needs without giving perceptive writers enough clues to potentially anticipate it. And we do talk a bit about the structure of the main character's journey. So if you want to wait to see the film, you can forward on to the final movie in our podcast. The time code is in the show notes. That's going to be Porcelain War. It's Jake Kruger and Christian Lybrook from Sundance. We just saw Reynas, which I think is as close to a perfect little movie as I've seen in 
in years. Like you're watching it and you don't even feel time going by. Yeah. You're just dropped into 90s Peru, the city of Lima, during a terrible time for the people there. And you're dropped into a problematic family that also freaking loves each other. And Christian, I know you wanted to talk about emotional needs and the way that they work in this film. Specifically around the father character who is somebody estranged from his wife and his two daughters. You really get that sense of his emotional need is love. He is really trying to connect with his daughters. But I think that emotional need actually shifts by the end. Yeah. And the transformation of that emotional need, you don't even, you feel it, but you don't realize it. Love, he gets that. And then that transitions into a sense of safety for his family. There are two most important moments in any movie. The first is the first image. And the second is the first image of your main character. And though this is really an ensemble piece, it's focused around the father. And so we meet the main character, Carlos. He's driving a taxi and he's got some poor guy in the back. And he's telling a story that's obviously not true. He's telling this story about he's a taxi driver, but he's not really a taxi driver. He's really an actor. And he's telling this totally apocryphal story. Do you know who Roger Corman is? Yeah, okay, good, you don't. I'm in Roger Corman movies. And it's wonderful because this is both the first image of the movie and it's also the first image of the character. Hey, this is who I am. And that's important for commercial reasons. Look, an actor reads a script and they're gonna see the first time their character appears and they're making a decision. Like, am I gonna do this or yeah. not? The second piece of that is that first image of the character, it's like if you walk into a job interview, right? And the first thing you do is you knock over your coffee on the person interviewing you, right? It doesn't matter what you do after that. Even if you are brilliant and they hire you, from every day forward, you'll be at the company for 15 years and they'll be like, remember that job interview when you spilled the coffee, right? The same thing is true of your character, right? It gives us a window to completely understand the character. And even if they end up having deeper layers, we're gonna understand them through that. Christian talked about the shift from love to the shift for safety. Yeah. But there's another shift too, which is he starts out in what he wants is validation, right? He yeah. needs validation, right? That's why he's telling the story. And one of the things that's really cool is once you know who your character is, every time you meet them afterwards, you literally just have to go, well, is he doing something similar? Or is he doing something different? Doing that extra little bit of work at the beginning to introduce your character in a way that goes, ah, this is me. It makes everything you do from that point forward in your writing easier. Understanding your character's emotional need, feeling it, right? I need validation. And so we meet this character and he needs validation. He's a deadbeat dad. He hasn't seen his daughters in years. And his daughters don't even want to talk to him. They don't want to be near him. He wants, he wants them to think of him as a good dad. He yeah. calls them reinas, they're his queens. This character does that pattern of telling this story, another story and another story and another story and another story, all of which are untrue. What's beautiful, even though he's doing the same thing, it moves from validation to love and he gets the love of his daughters. Even though he's repeating the same beat again, he does something the same, 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 the same. His emotional need is shifting underneath and therefore we can feel the change. And then we get to the end and he gets to do something different. Right? And, and without spoiling what that is, the same, the same, the same, the same, the same, different. It's such a profoundly moving experience yeah. to watch a character do that. Remember, need is not something you do up here. Need is something you do here. You don't give a character a need. You feel the need that exists inside of them. With all that said, if you can find a way to see Reina's, see this film, it is as near perfect of a character-driven story as, as you're going to see on screen. 100%. The final movie we'll be discussing was the winner of Sundance's U.S. Documentary Grand Jury Prize, Porcelain War. We came to this documentary about the Ukraine war, quite frankly, expecting it to be impossibly 
depressing. But what we experienced was exactly the opposite. It was a film that looked at the darkness through the light, that looked at the worst horrors through the eyes of artists that moved us to tears and also to hope. Whether you're working on a documentary or a narrative film, Porcelain War is absolutely jam-packed with profound lessons about the power of art, about how to build around a central metaphor, and most importantly, about how to navigate towards love even in the darkest possible landscape. There are some small spoilers, but nothing I would expect to affect your appreciation of the film. So I just got out of Porcelain War. It's a Ukrainian war documentary filmed entirely by the people living through it. If you were at Sundance, you should run to watch this film. You could hear my voice. I mean, I just wept through the entire movie. Yes, it's about the war, but it's also about art and the beauty of people in this completely awful situation. And I'm, I'm going to just talk about the first image of the film. You're starting off and you're in this beautiful field and you are watching this couple with their dog running through an absolutely beautifully shot nature. And you're hearing this voiceover and you're in, in this idyllic place. And then suddenly there's a cut and you realize where you are because you're seeing the smoke and the destroyed buildings and the broken glass of, of the war. And you, and you realize where you are you start to watch this juxtaposition of this extraordinary porcelain art, which becomes the central metaphor of the piece. The art is inspired by nature and it's used throughout the documentary in juxtaposition to the horror. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to feel the striving for the life that could be or that was against this absolutely impossible landscape. It allows you to feel the wrongness of what's happening all around them. And it focuses your attention on the beauty of people. There's an image of a snail in porcelain, and they speak early in the film of porcelain being a material that is both extremely fragile, but also indestructible. It can handle intense pressure and intense heat, but it can also easily break. And that becomes a central metaphor for them as human beings and for Ukraine. As that image progresses, you're seeing this image of this snail juxtaposed against these horrific landscapes, against images of civilians, artists, painters, normal people being trained in weapons of war. And then there's this really unbelievable moment where you see the painting start to animate. And they take this Ukrainian artist couple, they work together on these pieces. And when he's not making ceramics, he's training civilians to become soldiers. And they take the, this image and suddenly it animates and you start to see the story of the war through the animation of this art. And ultimately the image of this snail is gonna become a symbol for them. It's gonna become a symbol from their experience of the war. And then they're gonna land this unbelievable line where they tell you that the snail carries its home on its back and a refugee is, is a snail without a shell. I'm tearing up just thinking about it. But two really powerful lessons from this piece. The first is juxtaposition of tone. If you've seen Saving Private Ryan or All Quiet on the Western Front, these epics that, that juxtapose beauty and war, it, it reminds you that, that your screenwriting, whether you're making a documentary, a feature, a TV show, it doesn't have to be just one thing. That in fact, 
the pressure and the emotion comes from the juxtaposition of tone, comes from looking at two things that can't fit together and trying to make sense of the way they fit together and the freedom that you have with tone. The, the second lesson is, is a related lesson, which is no matter how dark your subject matter, look for the love. Because when you look for the love, when you look for the beauty, when you strive for what's gorgeous, even among the horror, that's what allows us the doorway in to care, to be moved, to be transformed, to be changed. So go see this movie. Even if you can't see this movie, you can go to porcelainwar.com and give to charities that directly fund the efforts in Ukraine. And if you get a chance, this movie will rock your world. It will devastate you and it will make you see the true beauty of and the power of art and, and of beautiful human beings. Stay tuned for part two of this podcast in which we're going to be talking about a ton of other wonderful movies that we saw at Sundance, including Thelma, Black Box Diaries, Jonathan Nolan's lecture on screenwriting, Nocturnes, Every Little Thing, the Brian Eno documentary, Eno, and a movie out of Haiti that totally wowed us called Kidnapping Inc. So check it out. It's coming at you in a couple weeks. And in the meantime, if this podcast is helping your writing, then come study with us. We have a free class every Thursday night, Thursday Night Writes. You can find it at writeyourscreenplay.com slash Thursday, as well as descriptions of all of our other programs for writers of all different levels.